Live from Red Bull Studios, New York. I'm in love with my life. Hi, this is Mary H.K. Choi, and you're listening to Hey Cool Jobs, a podcast about jobs. My next guest is Naomi Zeichner. She's the editor-in-chief of Fader Magazine, an important journal of music future, given the LOL landscape of magazines in this general climate. We've had many adventures together, and she has a very cool job. I'm in love with my life. Hi, Naomi. Oh my God. Hi, Mary. How's it going? Pretty good. So I already flubbed the intro a little because we just talked about how it's the fader, not fader. Yeah, officially it's the fader. It's something that it's sort of like a reminder that I'm sending around on emails a lot to our own staff to say like (laughs) they told the fader in an email. Um, So yeah, but but the magazine, we the the logo is just fader, no the. Because it's beautiful without the the. Yeah. But, you know, and I, I actually don't really know the kind of backstory behind why it, why the the is there. But we own both domains. I think that's the important thing. Tell me, how would you describe the fader? Like, what's like the log line? Like, douchebag meeting total distillation to like one sentence. I think uh, something that I've been fond of using sort of internally as in between myself and myself <laughs> is uh, music and culture for everyone. Oh. Uh and I think I think that's kind of like the promise. I think the fader as a brand or and as an existing magazine is a little bit utopian. I mean, that's like something that appeals about it to me and or appealed about it to me sort of before I worked there. And I think th- this idea that like everyone should have access to everyone and has sort of an opportunity to learn about people who are different than them. Right. That was kind of like the premise of the fader was that it would. Be- I actually think that that's really funny that you say that because I have um, that was actually tying into my later question. So basically you're spoiling the entire podcast already but no like utopian is a really funny way to put it because I actually think it got increasingly a lot more utopian with you at the helm like you know diving right into it like if you want to talk about your Ray Shrum Ram Ram um, cover that's on Sands right now that's like your summer issue right and like the cover is beautiful it's the two boys and the sky is blue and it's so summer vibes and they have their shirts off and everybody called it hashtag gay on social because everybody's a monster but That image was so breezy and beautiful. And, you know, even what you were saying about them, which is you kind of went to the mat to root for them. And you were like, no, they actually have artistry and integrity as musicians. And like, basically, I'm just talking to you about your own story right now. But like, I do remember the fader used to be a little surly at times. Certainly before your tenure there. What is like a surly fader story that you remember? Well, I just remember it being like there wasn't a lot of like immediacy or like joy about these discoveries. It was almost like I felt a little bad that I hadn't heard of these people already. Like every explanation of a new act was always like compared to like two other esoteric acts that perhaps I should have known about. And I think that when you got there, it got a lot younger. It got a lot more international and it got a lot more joyful. I think, yeah, it's interesting, actually, like something that I notice that I'm kind of, you know, when we choose our covers or when we're talking about photographers, right, and sort of doing the art direction with kind of like our creative brain trust, Mm -hmm. something that I'm known for saying maybe sort of at the annoyance of other members of this team who I love and respect um, is kind of that I'm always looking for a smile or I'm always looking for color. Like I kind of want to see 
hope and joy yeah i mean yeah. i feel like a lot of times and like still you do this for artistic or if that if your cover shot is a cover shot like that's your cover shot but like i feel like for a long time there was like a trend of like it couldn't be a fader cover if they were looking at you right you know like <laughs> it couldn't be a fader cover if you could see their entire face with an expression on it which I think was maybe, uh, well, I, I can't say, right, if that was an artistic choice or that was a result of, like, how miraculous the making of the fader actually is and that sometimes we're making these cover shots with, like, without a studio and right, right. without lights. So it might and... just be the most candid and arresting image, even though it's not necessarily, like, a quote-unquote cover. Right. Like, okay. And I think that came from, like, a beautiful place, right? You know, and I, I think... I'm not sort of trying to make anything more staged or tell some crazy story. Origin story we... that's like very Asper, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I do think, I mean, it's kind of like why when I look at my life, I'm like, okay, what am I doing as like a almost 30 year old person who makes a music magazine? I could be doing more helpful, better things in the face of like a really crazy world that we live in. And I think so I do feel that sort of the way I resolve that for myself or like what feels creatively fun to do is mm -hmm. stuff that does kind of remind people that music is really fun and cool and transformative and and like powerful I don't know so that that I think is kind of what I think the goal of most of the people who work at the magazine is in our coverage of music but also in our coverage of you know creatives at large yeah totally like people who make cool stuff like who have like good verbs totally yeah so you were, you know, you were just saying that you're almost 30. You were an intern there first, and then you sort of ascended into, like, your hyphens. <laughs> it, like, fell back, <laughs> fell upwards. Well, how did that, how did that come about? Uh, so I moved to New York, like, the day I finished college. Okay, what year was that? 2009. Okay. A really... I, I think a funny, interesting time in totally. New York. Totally. Actually, that was like coming off like the end of 2008, going into like whatever the summer of 2009 was, or the fall. That was like brutal. Like people in publishing had no jobs. Yeah. I mean, my entire senior year, I studied art in college and my entire senior year, I was just like trapped in an in a art studio with no windows, like painting, like listening to NPR be like the world is falling apart like the market sure. has collapsed like you will never have a job basically is kind of how I felt so I really had no idea what I was going to do and was kind of depressed throughout college just being sure. like man I'm not good at anything like I you know what is this going to be and I went to this very like kind of like highfalutin liberal arts college and like re really Which had one? no sense of what good this would do for me uh it was called Reed College in Portland, okay. Oregon weed college lol <laughs> um so, so yeah, I moved to New York and I got this sort of like halftime job uh, where I was working as an arts educator for Yo-Yo Ma, for like Yo-Yo Ma's nonprofit, Whoa. which was cool. That's really specific. It, yeah, it was. And he was, I mean, this program that he launched, I believe he still has in some of the schools where I kind of helped launch it. But um, I was just like traveling around the city to a bunch of different schools, working with sixth graders and their teachers and kind of like bringing in musicians, but also like sort of teaching this interdisciplinary arts curriculum. So like right. working with like a math teacher in Flushing to like tell, I don't know, like teach yeah, yeah, kids yeah. about like the Silk Road. It was like weird and cool. Um, but like I said, it was like halftime and it was also like this crazy commuting situation where I was like, going from flushing back to bed style all the time right. it was just like really hard actually so I was like man I got to figure out something else so I got an internship or I got a couple internships on the days that I wasn't doing that job uh and yeah I mean it was it was just really very selfish at the time right on these like 
terrible commutes with my iPod Nano. Right. <laughs> Before I had a smartphone, it was like filling, you know, it was like just downloading MP3s from the fader all the time, which right. is what I had been doing. And was like, oh, maybe I should just go work there. So you'd been a fan for a while. Yeah. I read the fader all throughout college and was like, okay. I think like in sort of saying again, like that I was kind of depressed during college and like really didn't know where I fit in. Mm-hmm. I think the idea that the people at the fader were smart, but not like didn't write in the terrible, annoying way that people wrote in like art history journals was right, like right. really um, like a relief for me. Like I was like, oh, there are people who are like smart who aren't annoying. Right, where it's like a little bit more conversational and yeah. approachable. So when you were discovering the fader when you were in college, I mean, is that like Alex Wagner days? I think mostly Julianne Shepard. I was oh, a huge okay. fan of her writing. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of nice thing about... Um, the fader too is that like Julianne Shepard again like is definitely one of my favorite writers on any topic pretty much but like on music she's such a rare treat like I think I recently told her that I might not ever cover music again because every time I read her I'm just like wow all these like yawning holes in my understanding are really fucking flagrant (laughs) um but yeah I do think that like the fader has sort of fostered some voices and they have been female and some viewpoints that I really admire um so in terms of like, how do you, I guess, how did you get the internship? Was it just a matter of like, like aggressively refreshing or just like bombarding all sorts of people? I think I saw Best Coast had been an intern at the Fader and she like had sure. like retweeted their call for interns. And I actually remember like being like super drunk and, and probably stoned in my like terrible apartment and being like, oh, like I should just like get up, get up the courage to do this. And then also making myself wait till morning to send the email right just like, in case i can't send this email at one in the morning right. you're not gonna have your jerry Maguire like moment yeah but yeah no i mean yeah i and then I, I i went in for a meeting with matthew schnipper and i remember god i like said something really embarrassing to him he like asked me i was he was like how did you get into music and i was like i don't know i went to a lot of shows when i was young and he was like so you were like a hardcore kid and i was like yeah and i was <laughs> which Why? is not that's true. such a specific thing to lie about to where I you can know. get caught out there in like three questions i just like you know wanted to be like yep and you're I, like hardcore as in like zealous right <laughs> i just didn't really like feel that it was going to be productive to this particular conversation to be like no well actually in athens georgia like we were more into folk punk like you know right, 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 <laughs> it right, was right, like right. the same shit i was like right. yeah i went to shows and like hit people with my body that is what I did so um yeah so everything was premised on a lie I got this internship Mm -hmm. and kind of um yeah I mean actually shortly sort of when I started Julianne had accepted another job and I think she was doing the bulk of the work on the on the internet at that time um along I mean along with some other people and I think they were kind of like shit who's gonna blog right and so I actually think that that's why I was offered a job because they were like, well, somebody's got a blog and this girl seems to like to blog. <laughs> was that true? Yeah, absolutely. It was like so exciting. I mean, this was like, was it like one of those things where you're like, oh, shit. but I mean, did you feel like I feel like music journalism is so challenging because it's really easy to refute your opinion of a thing that was created. Uh, yes, but I think that's also never what Fader was about. Mm. To some extent, Fader wasn't not like a a shit slinging contest right and it was kind of about being excited about things so it was like oh you like egyptian song like say why you like the egyptian song i mean that was kind of at least especially at the beginning of when i was working there that was very much kind of the tone and and the expectation and then as far as like the next step up for you like how did you finagues man i don't know i think i just i and what was that title the next one that you got 
I, I, I started as online editor and then I think it became associate editor. Right, right. And then you went through the rank yeah. and file of the masthead. Yeah. I think for me, like a big part, I, I think t- even today, right, like a huge thing for me at work is that I kind of feel like the world is falling apart if anything is falling apart and that's just something that just is my personality Mm -hmm. right so like if you know at the time right when I was starting like we had no weekend blogger so like if a music video got released on a Saturday morning that was like I would be in a I would be like besides myself if somebody had not addressed it and that wasn't you know well you're actually just really competitive I think that's probably yeah and you have like that news mind yeah, I think I, I think I developed it, right? Yeah. Um, but maybe, I, yeah, I, I like to pay it. I feel like I'm a very um, nosy person. I like to pay attention to what people are talking about. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in what people are having conversations about. And I kind of do think that I am a keen observer. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe that's a sort of news mind. But yeah, so. But I just mean that like you take a special sort of pleasure in being wonky about like kind of a swath of different topics. Sure. No, I think that's totally true. I'm like, here, let me tell you all about yourself. So in terms of like, and then you left and you went to BuzzFeed and you did like 200 some odd posts. That's like, yeah, wow. That's like a huge leap. And, you know, I remember thinking at the time, like, I think this was around the time that you and I became better friends because I I definitely met you at South by Southwest a couple years ago. We were at a truck fit party with Mountain Dew as a sponsor and Lil Wayne was supposed to show up and it was like two in the morning and he hadn't yet and I hadn't had dinner and you'd just gotten off a plane and you gave me your Biscoff cookie <laughs> from your in-flight snack and I remember being like, hmm, we're gonna be friends. But so like fast forward to like us being better friends and I remember when you went to BuzzFeed, it was it was weird because it was one of those things where it's just like, it was nice because I knew you had been editing prior to that and I was just like oh it's nice to read so much of your grown work I guess like when you're older your viewpoint is different and you're writing you're producing so much content I can sort of read a lot of like unfettered you but it was also like looking at someone it was like looking at like Anna Wintour with like a blonde curly wig on because it was just like I was just like huh this is like it's very good but it it felt it felt a little um I don't know I, I, I you know like can you explain my feeling of dissonance about your writing at the time maybe I mean I, th- I think some of the things I did there are like the most me things I've ever done okay. um you know like I worked on a, a young thug story that I think actually maybe going back to your your idea that maybe I'm very competitive was literally just like a six-month project that I did in response to somebody's tweet that was like no one's gonna figure this out and I was like well yes I am <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun. and do yeah um, do some exposition so everyone knows what you're talking so about. I work I just worked on a, a story about young thug it's sort of this was when young thug was kind of uh after he was on a favorite cover when he was sort of becoming famous in a much bigger way and hanging out with Birdman a lot people were like is Young Thug signed or not? Right. And to me, it seemed very obvious that obviously some he yes something had happened, but what was it? And so I kind of just worked very hard on answering that question. And it's a weird story, and I think it said a lot about Young Thug's like being incredibly talented, and and also just about I don't know how weird a lot of deals are. So I worked on that project, and I thought that that was very something that was like very me and very my interest and also my approach. But yeah, no, I think a lot. I mean, maybe. People who work at BuzzFeed now will not agree with this, but I think like Jonah Peretti in launching BuzzFeed, it, it, in so many ways, it really is like a, you know, like a lab and an experiment, yeah. an artful experiment. Right. And I think that that is actually really exciting. And I, 
um, whether this was sort of what I was supposed to be doing or not, but I think it was what I was supposed to be doing. I was kind of really just like experimenting with what people liked and why. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, right, you know, because the metric expect- aspect of working at BuzzFeed is so great because you have that immediacy of like knowing how things, it's like how people who work at Gawker, they will yeah. always have that sort of like in tune sort of knowledge of why things hit. And there's what it like, feels like there's crazy tools like yeah. you know just the data that they provide you is amazing something that was really amazing is you could use see who clicked on what picture that was like oh that's interesting that's like magic to me yeah so, yeah yeah i mean you like find out the word ridiculous is like a word people click on and then like maybe i wouldn't use that word in conversation with you but it became a part of like what the i was lexicon, doing at BuzzFeed. Yeah, totally. um but i think that it was yeah i mean and i think that's like actually like what what happens when a website is kind of really driven by its readers, like that's a whole nother question. And I don't think that's really what BuzzFeed is. Mm. Um, but that definitely was a part of, of what I was doing there was kind of actually like letting leaders read to some extent and like kind of um, seeing where that took me, but also doing things that I really just cared about that they were very supportive of, mm-hmm. um, you know, like something like that Young Thug project. Like, I don't know, I was, the editors that I was working with uh, just knew so much about reporting and news that I really hadn't known before. Um, and I feel like so I hope that I'm bringing things that I learned there sort of back to our staff. Why did you go back to the fader? I honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no, I think I, I don't know. Uh, I, I it was just like a gut decision. It just felt like me. And I think that it, professionally that I've made a lot of decisions in that way. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, actually something that I that I say that was very at the top of my mind at the time was like, I just want to I want to have more tools in my toolbox. Like at, at BuzzFeed, there was sort of one. Now, I think there are many more. But at the time, there was like one photo editor that the whole news division was working with. And right. they were extremely talented and amazing. And I never had any problems getting what I needed from them. But I was like, man, if I work at Fader, there'll be one photo editor for 20 people. And right. they'll be like all mine to make everything I want to make with. <laughs> and and that's really it, it felt um, creative. And in a lot of ways, like that's. I I do love writing and I like editing and there's a lot of but what I really love about my job is that it's kind of like this holistic expression. Right. I mean, well, it could be said that you went back to Fader because I mean, did they offer you the top spot at that point to entice you back? Um, Yeah. Yes. Yes. At first, it's funny. I mean, it was kind of a process. Like even when I was leaving, they were kind of like there were different titles that were thrown about right. as like executive I think, senior sure meow, meow, I yeah. think they were trying to figure out how the place should be structured in general which we are still trying to figure out sure. you know I think I think it's but yes I mean when when sort of the idea that I would really be able to kind of um steal Run this it. thing <laughs> came, yeah that was that was very enticing to me and and frankly like uh it was it was a lot it's it has been more challenging than I ever anticipated or what was challenging about running it mm. um, was like really different than I would have like I all to say that like it wasn't like the perfect like right. yes I, I like reached Happily level 10 and now, yeah, yeah, yeah. now everything is perfect I you win. know <laughs> yeah but um, what yeah. are some of those challenges I guess I think I mean just what goes into the job there's so many different things right I think it's been about balancing those things like re- both recruiting staff and dealing with invoices and a flat plan and a printer and making sure you're writing and keeping up your own voice and like making sure you're editing stuff on time for people and not treating them like shit. I don't know. It's, it's just a lot. lot. It's yeah. a lot of different types of things. And I don't, I also like part of wanting to be at Fader every day was like, 
these are my friends I love these people yeah and I think realizing like oh those people won't like those people have their own lives that they won't always work at Vader also they might not want to hang out with me because I'm like you know yelled at their friend two days ago that was like very real sure I mean I think this is like it's something like Ann Friedman has written a lot about is like you're friends with your you know employees but you're also not I don't know and I I feel like it's kind of like you do cross the Rubicon a little bit like um I was talking to Noah Callahan Bever on this very podcast about how challenging it can be to because the 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 hierarchy is real like you hired them you may have to be in a position where you fire them like it makes it a little not as fun to hang out with you I think I try to just sort of deal with this in that you know, I genuinely, I, I still gen, very genuinely like and consider friends all the people that I work with, whether yeah. and, and frankly, whether they're above me or below me at Fader. And I kind of just try to live in that reality and enjoy it. And then also try not to be overbearing socially with, you know, like, yeah, you know, totally. Um, I love when we can hang out, but also I'm not going to get stressed. Like, I, and, and I think that <laughs> I, that's. I order you as a royal decree <laughs> to hang out with me. Yeah. I, and I, yeah, I mean, it's also been really interesting. Part of this is like when I came into Fader, I was like the baby of the. I mean, in some ways, it felt like a sorority, and I was like the fresh, yeah, the like baby person. And, and now I'm like, oh, I'm like one of the oldest people in this room. How do you sort of navigate the trajectory when you go from being an intern at a business to being the boss? Are there like particular challenges inherent in that? I do think that when I when I first came back, I had this idea like, oh, people really need to realize like I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not that kid that was an intern. Right, right. right. I have different ideas now, um, but I don't think me thinking about that did any good, anyone right. any good. I don't, I, I don't think there's any. I think it's, I'm, it's always good to have an institutional memory, right? I guess if there's any challenge, it's maybe like having too much of that, like telling people who are totally new and have fresh eyes and are excited about your brand about the way you used to do things. Right. But I try not I, I try not to be too attached to a way we used to do things um, or like a way we do things now. Like I think that's something maybe that I think really works at BuzzFeed is like they're just like, well, what's the best way to do a thing? Right. So I think that that kind of dovetails neatly into um, another cover that is because you have four covers for the summer issue, right? PNL. That's fucking crazy. Like how did that come about? And PNL if for the people that don't know are a rapping pair of French brothers who are Algerian and Corsican and they're like incredibly politically like you know minded and you know like you know we're talking about France in the heels on the heels of Brexit and like you know I think that right now the polling data shows that Brexit would still be you know I think like 40 percent for stay so it's not like super scary but like there are a lot of people in Europe who are being marginalized and these kids are speaking to that and it's not in English. And despite the 40 million views on YouTube or whatever, like they haven't gotten a lot of press. Like how do you, is that a, is that a cover that you have to fight for in your building? No, to the credit of my, that's exact, awesome. I mean, that's I think, awesome. I don't, the word fight doesn't feel right. I definitely okay. have to go and like finesse. <laughs> I have to explain why I think it's a cool idea. And right. I, and I'm very thankful that I think in general, uh, there's, there's a relationship of trust and, and these guys know their brand too. And kind of when I, when I, I don't know if I'm presenting something correctly and it actually works, which I think PNL does work that they're cool with it. How did you decide to put that cover together? Honestly, so for summer we do four covers and it's kind of like, you know, everybody sees them independently. 
and in a lot of ways they actually like sort of never have to live together but there's yeah, that's still actually, this, the timing like, has been really interesting because it felt every time there's a new cover being re- revealed i'm like oh my god is this the next fader cover it, it feels like a very standalone thing so yeah, it's nice that's what i mean that's how the internet works right every <laughs> every post lives or dies on its own merit on the sure. internet is something i think i probably say a lot annoyingly but i think that right but you still have this idea that you want the magazine to like feel like a vibe and we were stressed because we had too many men and it wasn't like coming anyway i was just like what is the secret ingredient this needs and i had just been on vacation in portland oregon hanging out with some old friends and we I was like showing them these videos and you know whatever we had posted them on the site we were all really excited about them internally um and 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 seeing them do well on the site and I think I you know on like when I was sitting in the airport waiting for my flight home to New York I was like I'm just being stupid obviously PNL is the it's the cover right it's not it's not just a good blog post it's the cover and I think it actually does that story has all the sort of ingredients of what I would consider a, a fader story worth doing which is what it's something that you don't already know about that you want to know more about. There's also specifically like a mystery to be a mystery about why you're interested in knowing about it that needs to be reported out and like needs words and needs a reporter and a writer mm-hmm. to elucidate a bit. Um, that it's something somebody else wouldn't do so that only Fader can do it. And it you know gives you a reason for Fader to exist and to come to the Fader. Uh, yeah. And that also that they they kind of do without even trying kind of sort of uh, like recognize or they they are a form of recognition of sort of the weird world that we live in, right? That they yeah. are like rapping over type beats and that their videos, like their outfits kind of look like Chief Keefs or something and that, right? I, you know, and then and that they're a part of a political movement in France or but they have like, all these fans in France that like, no, we don't know anything about. I don't know. It just felt, amb- it, it's ambitious yes. and weird. And the music is awesome. And when you go to a PNL and you're like, hey, we want to do a Fader cover. I mean, they are notoriously press shy. Like, I think this was their first cover ever. Like, and they, they don't like having their photo taken. They've answered some questions but didn't. And what is their reaction? I mean, do they, are they like, fuck your validation? Or are they like stoked? I think in this case they were stoked. Okay. Which was awesome. Yeah. You know, and I can't really like point to any one reason why. I mean, I think that they... No. People fuck with the fader internationally, yeah, and right? I, I think people fuck with the fader in general. And and I think actually that was like that's a huge part of the reason that I love working at the fader is that there's so much karma around this brand yeah. that I wouldn't ever try to take personal credit for. Um but it feels but you good. would if you were a man. Would I? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go on. I'm gonna take all the credit for it. <laughs> if people fuck with the fader, it's because they fuck with Naomi's like no. <laughs> personally um but yeah so i mean and that that actually is like such an amazing starting point from which to do good work and i'm just feel very grateful for that the the other thing that i think is really baller and like really um something i'm proud of just as a magazine person and it's so stupid and it's so simple but i love that you had also translated that story in french and similarly when you did um jay balvin like at the top of the year right yep you know that was that was that your first ever simultaneous Spanish cover? Yes, that was. Or was the that, first the, is that the first translation that we've done ever? Yeah, as far as I know. I mean, I mean, as a precedent, like I feel like it's really important to talk about how rad that is. I mean, I, I think it sort of, you know, I think that um, it was like how the New York Times uh, translated that nail salon story in Korean, and for me, that was particularly like sort of like uh, it really got me in my feelings and. But I do, I do think that 
you know, it's already ballsy of you to do, um, you know, a reggaeton star for the Federer. I mean, even though reggaeton was very, very much back and because of him and to do that in Spanish, I think that a lot of people probably really appreciated that. How was the response? The response has been great to both covers. I would say what's cool, like another thing that's great about my job is that it doesn't, within the context of the work, it doesn't feel ballsy. Like Fader covers were always ballsy, I guess. The very existence of the Fader feels kind of ballsy. They're like, I mean, to even call it ballsy, I think is depressing. You know, it kind of speaks to like how sort of like, you know, monoculture and fucking white and fucking Anglo and whatever um, things like music journalism are in this country. Or like, I don't know, but like, I noticed because it felt bold to me. And I think that that's cool. Yeah. I think with that story, actually, I mean, what's been really interesting in kind of comparing them is I think with the Jay Balvin story, uh, the English version performed slightly better. And so I think who we were really reaching with that story was people in America or sort of English speakers who know that they should know about Jay Balvin because lots of Spanish speakers know about Jay Balvin and wanted to learn more. Right. And with the PNL story, uh, actually, the French translation sort of vastly outperformed the English version. That's interesting. And I think in a lot of ways, right, it was it was French people who are already fans of PNL who haven't read an interview with them before, yeah, who really wanted yeah, to know yeah. about it, who I guess are, you know. So that was like, I think that's the thing is like, it, to some extent, both oper- both of these stories were real ways to learn about our audience. And then, you know, maybe like a third reference point is we did this David O story um, a Nigerian artist, and that was only published in English, but was like a huge conversation, I think, it sort of like amidst the Nigerian diaspora, right? So people who, in Nigeria and in London and, you know, but and, and that story performed quite well. I mean, what makes you good at this job? Like, what are your ingredients? Like, we talked about your competitiveness and like, you know, do you love, I mean, do you love music? To where is that like your life? It's so funny because I'm always like, no, I'm not really a music person. But like, (laughs) yes, obviously I love music. It's actually like kind of, you know, when I think about the good moments of my like, or when I think about, uh, I don't know, when I think about my friendships or like hosting a party or anything, like music is very tied to my identity and um, and as much now I think as it was when I was younger. And I think I like maybe I grew up in a college town and kind of like what there was to do was go to these shows. It was kind of like a pretty active like county right scene and that that was that was a lot of fun for me I felt like uh you know I think I'm a person who doesn't like to be told what to do and like wants to go out and have fun and I think that music like a community around music was just sort of like where I where that seemed possible Mm -hmm. and still where it seems possible for me um but what's your like discovery process I mean is is well one what is your discovery process in terms of how do you find new music and two like is there still like happiness in that or are you sometimes like, God damn it? I, I mean, I definitely don't keep up now in the way that I was able to when it was really my job to write every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, like if if this were three years ago, I would have listened to every single song on the Kodak Black tape. And now I've only listened to a couple, you know, um, but I still know <laughs> that Kodak Black is important. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, I, I think I, Twitter is probably the place that is like my number one discovery tool. Like if you are just if you just lurk everyone and everything on Twitter, you can know a lot. What is like what is like the the signs that something's zeitgeisting? Like what's the bubble signs? I don't, that's a great question. I don't know. Teens, obviously. <laughs> like if you hear something in the background of a 
good good teens something then maybe i mean i guess right like now now snapchat is everything actually for music yeah artists are going crazy playing so much unreleased music on snapchat yes it's actually amazing to me like artists who've been press shy for years are just like not even on their own snapchats but just like will go on anybody's snapchat and say say stuff and i mean not to say that i think that that's like what somebody kind of says as an aside on Snapchat is not like the most valuable thing that you're going to, I think there's a place to ask further questions. Obviously, no, for sure. But there is a definite like undiluted, like just, it's just new. Yeah. So people are psyched. It's not that new, but it's like, it's yeah. new enough that I think people are figuring out how to use it and what they're supposed to do. And also like using it in their personal lives. And do you still like find joy in like discovering new music? I mean, you're kind of like into people though. Like you love music, but definitely like you, you tend to geek out, I think more, on the person I think that's true I'm into vibes like yeah. that sounds so silly but <laughs> if somebody has a good vibe that makes me excited I think that I'm I just want to know about their brain and who they are and why they're that way um but also I mean I guess like when I think about Rich Homie Kwan and how much I love his music I mean as much as I like shout out to Rich Homie Kwan but like I don't you know I think actually maybe sometimes it is more the music, or as much the music. <laughs> maybe just in that particular case yeah I, I just feel like I mean but with like a magazine with like, perspective yeah and like new people yeah like um like who's like the last person that you were like oh my god I love you like I feel like not like I Christopher Columbus discovered you or whatever but like I am stoked on you as this thing that exists that I'm excited to shine a floodlight on I think I mean I'm pretty excited about Kamaya is like maybe something that comes immediately to mind um, and definitely like felt excited about the music, feel just like a innate connection with it and that it feels like young, but also sort of, I don't know, like it's drawing on sounds that I, I get, like, I don't, I don't even know what, I don't believe in like nostalgia or something. It's like, I don't think that's a driving force in my life, but I don't know, like, like I was definitely super into hypey music when I was yeah. in college or something. So maybe that's a part of it when I just, yeah. But, um, I like, like her spirit, like I love her hyphy spirit and I, when I met her though <laughs> it's a good vibe she yeah. was uh super smart and and cool and I, I I like musicians and creative people in general who kind of can talk about their who take their work very seriously and and talk about their goals in like an earnest um way but aren't rude to other people and kind of just want to do a good job I think I respect people like that again so she strikes me as that kind of person what do you think is a uh, big question what do you think is the future of music journalism no I mean this kind of relates to um, I wrote your Rihanna cover for Fader 100 and it was funny because at the beginning you and I had a conversation and you were like I have like I want to do Rihanna and I was like obviously I want to write Rihanna and we had a couple meetings about it over tequila and you're like it's going to be very specific. So tell 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 our our audience like what the parameters that you were offered in terms of like doing that cover. Well, oh man, I mean, this is from, <laughs> like I think I think they were like, yeah, cool, we'll do a photo shoot, and it was like, well, for a fader cover, <laughs> you know, I mean, my my spiel is like, well, we ask for both documentary and studio photography and we ask for real access which means could be a day or usually is three days yeah and because that's the nice thing about a lot of covers that you do it's like unlike um you know doing Leonardo DiCaprio like you're doing someone that you might might not have heard of ergo the sort of not the transaction but the, the the deal is you have to like discover who they are and so you do have like I remember when I did your Earl Sweatshirt cover I had 
like four days with him or yeah. something. It was amazing. But I don't even think that that is sort of premised on the idea that these people are unknowns and so we deserve more access. It's really just like we're trying to write a we're trying to write a good story. Yeah. What are the ingredients of a good story? Well, we need at least two serious actual interviews that were had while you were paying attention to me, <laughs> not in a car. We would like right. you to fact check this with like be a part of our fact check. We would like a follow up call. I mean, these are yeah. these are the core asks, and like every cover reporting ends up being a little bit different based on budget and their schedule and you know sometimes we have two days sometimes we have five days like but, but Rihanna was truly special this was truly special it's like it's still I mean you can hear that I'm like still frustrated about it <laughs> like I'm still upset um but basically we were like we can't do the story without quotes period at all uh you know and so if we can't what you know we can do an interview at the photo shooter we can do a phoner and it was decided that we would have answers only to five questions and we were like wow so then we were like let's make content out of these five questions like let's let's figure out what the five questions are together and and anyway she didn't answer the five questions and it kind of became so time passed yeah and we, you know very I, stressful we, so so much stress um but you and i had you know basically mined the the thoughts and prayers and you know everything the essences of the most brilliant women we knew and this was like this ongoing email chain and we had all these questions and then they were whittled down to like the five best and it was like this like you know like the most it was gonna be like the most potent truth starts of all and then she never answered them and I remember you and I I think we had a couple days to figure out what we're going to do. And then we decided to do a write around, which is a thing that you write when you don't have access to a person. And the thing is, it actually ended up being interesting and it ended up being fine. And I remember how, and not to be shady, I'm only saying this because I'm older than you by a lot, but like I was really surprised at how good you were as an editor. Like I was like super stoked on it because I've been in a lot of positions and I have worked for a, a, a bajillion editors who are now edit, still editing or some of them have been put out to pasture but <laughs> who really will just be like oh look at you you're a tiny speck in in outer space and oh your tether has come undone and now you float and then you're just like out there and you have to file and they don't have your back and you're being yelled at by like fact checking or whatever and you and I really were on some Thelma and Louise shit with that. <laughs> and I was really, really impressed. Like how, and I'm not saying this to be patronizing. I'm just asking you because I think a lot of people don't have the luxury of been, being edited by good people. But how did you learn how to be an editor? Well, I think part of it, well, first of all, that story was, I mean, it was such a pleasure to work with you on that story. And I think it was to your credit. I, I, it was a very It was a very challenging, scary thing. But when we realized that the question, the answers were never coming. Yeah, this is your hundredth issue. It's just like a very don. How are we going to make this not pathetic? And I think that uh, it's really a credit to your pre-existing knowledge and that conversation that we had with that group of women, and then also just your creativity. That that story was excellent. But I think part of part of editing, a huge part of editing for me, is sort of like I said that I have this feeling that the world is going to fall apart if anything is falling apart. And that I just I do really want things to be great and I want to save them and I want people to do good work. And I just, you know, I really yeah. like want to. You're one of the most like heartfelt and emo like editorial <laughs> people I, I work with. That's routinely. so embarrassing. No, it's not. It's fucking great. Like, yeah. So I guess that that's like ingredient one is just that this that the story being good actually really matters to me. Yeah. And I have an emotional investment and I feel defensive and I want everybody to be good. So that's that's, a, I think, a big motivating factor. And then I think. Honestly, like, 
this is sort of where having done really similar work in a lot of ways for like six years running has been such an advantage for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was editing blog posts, you know, I used to edit Duncan, who is my deputy editor now, but started with me as an intern. And I love Duncan so much because I can just be so rude to him and he won't bat an eyelash because he knows I love him, like, which is just such a gift uh, for me because sometimes I can be really rough on people. Um, which is not a nice thing to be, but he, he, you know, I used to just be like, oh, this is too long. This joke isn't funny. Like, who the fuck do you think you are? You know? And so that, like, just thrashing his blog posts, which were obviously very good, was like, that was a good step one. And then I think, you know, I kind of, I was also edited pretty intensely. My writing was like really f- weird when I first started. And I think that I worked with great editors and kind of copied like who? their moves. I like, Pete Mesha and and Matthew Schnipper and Sam Hockley Smith all read my writing. Kind of Amber Bravo actually also, who was an editor at the Fader for a while, was like I think extremely helpful in sort of talking me through as a writer, just sort of like what a story actually needed, not just mm-hmm. improving what I had already done, but really kind of like telling me what I should go after and how kind of treating a story as like a sculpture. I mean, actually, when I think about editing, I do really think about like like craft and like handiwork and kind of like making something look like an like making an art object which sounds really crazy no I I actually really I think you're absolutely correct and like I am always right so I know you're right no but like (laughs) you know I was thinking about just your trajectory and how like it can be rough for someone who starts as an intern to sort of claw your way to the top and similarly like you went to BuzzFeed and then you got the top spot like you do have to make that move sometimes just to like let everyone in the building know that like what your value is but the one thing that is great about being an intern and working your way up versus someone who's just like you seem internet famous let me anoint you with a column 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 is that like (laughs) you really learn how to write yeah. And you learn how to edit, man. And like that, I don't see that a lot. And it breaks my heart. A lot of these babies, they flail and no one's like doing anything to help them. And absolutely now at where I'm at, I'm like, oh, like, I can I be of service? Yes, I can be of service because I've literally just already done these things that for whatever reason, some people have not done. But yeah, I think going to BuzzFeed was also just like working there with a new set of editors, whether it was Shawnee Hilton running the newsroom or Steve Kendall, who edited a bunch of my long form or Dory, who I worked with also on long form and kind of on every strategy and everything I was doing. Um, they all have I've very, edited by been edited by Dory and she's great. She's yeah. really great. And something, something that she did that was like super mind blowing to me was, you know, like she would never line edit your first draft. She would just write you a thoughtful email back. That was basically almost like a book report on what you had done that that also had some specific tips like you know it should start here like it needs to start on your eighth graph obviously you know but it was she wouldn't she wouldn't ever I mean I'm not saying she wouldn't ever because who knows how she's doing all of her tricks but like you know she she wouldn't sort of meddle with your shit you never felt threatened you felt like she had seen you you know and these are things that I think about I don't think that's really my I, I like can't help myself like often get in there and do a line edit pretty early on but I think that yeah but you do and you don't like because you know uh, and again I've been edited by you exactly once but and again my copy was pristine no I mean it was really no 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 we had a lot of changes and I think I think that you and I are the same way if if the if the line edit's going to be bloody and it's just going to crush you you should do the email book review first 
Well, and also the line edit is like the last thing. If the line edit's going to be bloody, the piece probably needs a lot of other stuff too. Yeah, it's it, it that's a fo- that's a phone call. Like we all know what that means. <laughs> if your editor is like, "Hey, let's hop on the phone," <laughs> you're like, "Oh shit, okay." But like, yeah, I mean, I, my favorite editors in um, the universe. No, I mean I have a handful of people, and they all have like very. It's funny that they're they're all very different and they all write very differently. But as editors, they definitely have a lot of similarities. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is weird, interesting, but it's kind of amazing because I'm a big whore. Like I will write for anyone, <laughs> and so like I'll I'll do I'll I'll write for people who have never edited before, and that's such a horror show. Or I'll write for people who are not empowered to tell me exactly what they think. So that's like three weeks, and then like six hours to turn it around. But yeah, I I think it's. I think it's really nice to have editors who have power and vision who have gone through a, a boot camp like that. And I think it's kind of sad that like you increasingly have a lot of people who are very vis- visible, who you can who you can tell just haven't had that sort of training and the luxury of such a training. And something that Fader becoming bigger has meant is that we just have a lot more copy to move through. And I think that like I'm and kind of trying to now not just learn how to edit, but like sort of help other people become editors and because I need other people to become editors. I mean, how much? And then sort of top editing editors and like needing everybody to edit kind of in a way that is, seems good to me is like been really interesting. And and I hope, you know, to some extent there's like, you have to weigh it. Like I, I hope that people who work at Fader recognize that or enjoy that as valuable and I think it might be hard because, right, editing takes real time, it takes real effort, it takes real skills, and it and 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 it's invisible. Oh God, yeah. you know. And so and so in the age when having a really sexy column is really sexy, you know, um, I I'm very thankful for the people who do that invisible work at the Vader. Totally. So in terms of like going to the Rihanna cover and and the lack of access we had, like, do you think you know? you know the whole thing about how like Justin Bieber isn't doing meet and greets and Drake isn't either and Beyonce never gives interviews anymore and you know social media means that everyone's con- you know controlling their transmissions to the lay people what do you think is the future of like access in music journalism well i think it's going to get weird i think it's already weird yeah. you know i'm really not where do you think it's at right now i don't know i think i mean i think that like i said Snapchat's really interesting. I think if you love reading music profiles, which like I hope the fader stories are sort of more than just music profiles, but I think the best music profiles that exist right now are on Snapchat. Like musicians are profiling themselves. Like if you want scenes, Snapchat is full of scenes. Um, So that's cool. I'm actually like, don't think that's bad. I think it's a little scary if you're doing just profiles. But again, like I hope our stories are kind of like a little bit or profiles with bigger ambitions. you know, I think somebody like Beyonce, I, I, I'm not like offended by Beyonce not giving interviews. I And I sort of the piece that we ran in Vader 100 about Beyonce not giving interviews. Uh, I feel like that's such a part of self-care at a certain point, though. Like, I think so. that's and how I, I feel about right. the Bieber decision no for sure. I problem with Bieber not doing meet and greets. Yeah. I mean, meet and greets to me are like not about the truth. Like a meet and greet is is a way to make money on tour that Live Nation invented. When I, you know, I don't know. Right. Like, and I was, re- I was reading like um, Judnick's piece about just kind of like how gross it can be and once you have your foot in the door and you've paid your you know whatever guilders or whatever like you you really feel like maybe you can make out with your your famous person it's very like dance monkey dance like and and the gross aspects of that make that sort of 
definitely an issue about self-preservation. Right. And then there's this idea that like if you don't speak, you don't have to lie. You never, you know, you can actually just, you can live a life with integrity and righteousness and feel good. And I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm giving all celebrities the benefit of the doubt, I think that's actually, that's beautiful. Like if, you know, Beyonce can keep her truth to herself and, and live in it. Um, and I think with an artist as wonderful and powerful as Beyonce, I, I guess I can see some sense in that. I think bottom line, though, I, I think that. And she feeds us frequently, Beyonce. Yeah. With, <laughs> with, with all of her. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't bother me. That said, I am. I think that so many musicians have really amazing, not just musicians, but people, it, people in the world have amazing stories and they should share them. Like honesty is still really powerful yeah. and really sexy um you know like i think if we did this Catronata story where he sort of opened up about his sexuality for the first time that was amazing and that was like i mean it wasn't just that it was like his first time doing press about it it was like literally kind of his first time really and i love speaking about this in his life and i and i think just the re- the response to that was not just like ooh, cool scoop it was a real conversation and i just thought that like I mean, the intimacy of speaking with his family and his mom and like just everything. But it just actually gave me a whole new respect for his for his music and and, and sort of his um, strength and and as a person. I was just like, if you can do this and if you think that this is a good idea, then I really think you're 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 smart and honest. And like, I trust you and I trust your music and I'm interested in the decisions you make in general. But I do think how about how honorable and careful the delivery was of that as well. I mean, a a lot of that is a testament to your writer, obviously. Yes, absolutely. Um, Right. And that's I mean, that's just something that we would not take lightly. And I think we don't take any of these stories lightly. And I think that as an editor is what's frustrating for me when, um, when I feel like there's like an artist has an interest is not interested in being honest. Like I just don't understand it to some extent because I'm like, I'm not just out here to, you know, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We're not, we're not, we don't write takedowns. So I just want to actually help people say things that are real to them. Yeah, I mean, that's a nice thing about working for you guys. Like, I'm never going to be surprised by a deck that is just going to be casually racist. <laughs> or, like, or like, you know what I mean? Like, it's always, like, display copy where I'm like, oh, my God, I want to fucking that's kill like myself. The, that's our new marketing pitch. It's like the fader, like, no casually racist decks. Yeah, <laughs> that's your new logline. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of, like, access and stuff, how many celebrities and their various hangers-ons have your direct phone number? Like none. Good. That's amazing. I feel like sometimes I always thought that you, everybody had access to you and I was kind of worried about you. I actually think I've like been probably too careful. Like I think that's good though. Here in New York, I I don't know if I have a reputation is not going out, but I think I go out so much less than I like could Could, or should. And I, but that's because I, I, it, as much as like I said, I love music. It's like everything about my life. I, I think I identify more as like a magazine person or a journalist than like just like a you know an industry person or right. something um and i want to make sure that when i ask people for real access and stuff that i have that they're that they i don't know that i like have they that don't, yeah. leverage to ask i don't yeah some people have my phone number but i nobody really abuses it who and has your phone number i don't know i mean like tour managers you know what i'm saying like people honestly people, <laughs> who need it yeah logistically people, not even like, people who need it but people who can actually help answer questions mm, like for yes. every team there is like the a woman, one the woman person. who's the day-to-day manager with the backpack that's who's that's whose phone number that you is want. so true isn't it unbelievable and also like there's a story in that oh definitely because like the dynamic is always sort of like a thing where i'm like ugh, like of course it's like 
gender role norm shit that there's like a mom of every team but that mom is always the most on point and like not always the oldest like just some woman who is wearing comfortable shoes and is like on her fucking shit yeah three yeah. phones three phones i was <laughs> gonna say the same thing always three phones and so i mean sometimes that woman is a man to be fair but yes. rarely though no yeah seriously rarely. yeah rarely rarely we actually I feel like you need to like coin terminology for this particular person it's literally the the woman who is in this role on Rachel Remmerd's team who is amazing and it's somebody I just really respect and think is wonderful they when I was out there reporting that story they like literally did not know how to credit her on the liner notes yeah you know and it's because you can't, like, can't call her manager because there's like four other the, managers yeah. or whatever and, and the manager but it's like you know what is she not doing if not helping manage God, the situation that, that kind of makes me sick it's almost like how casting directors aren't allowed to be called directors because of guilds and shit like and the casting directors are predominantly women it's like anyway da, 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 another conversation for another day <laughs> um, what is easily the most annoying aspect of your job man uh you know, something I had like a proving time off, like a proving when people want to go home because they have to go to the dentist first. Like that's it's not the most annoying, but it's just like something that's not the greatest to do. It feels distracting <laughs> and not important. Um, <laughs> Your teeth are not important. <laughs> I mean, everybody's got to go to the dentist. It's just like sometimes. Try, yeah. So I, that's like something that I would consider unfun. I, I think the most annoying part of my job might be this conversation that we're talking about, sort of a, about access and about things like explaining to people that um, they can't have photo approval or why I feel like it's and not, photo it's approval not is where it's, it's they, they right. want to be able to pick and choose which photos that they want to be the cover yeah. and like all that stuff. Like I, yeah, I just care deeply about making a quality product that is both not hateful but also not I mean not promotional you know like unless your record label is paying me to make a story I'm not yeah I or I don't, whatever I don't work for artists yeah this I, is not some cute pale I work shit. for like the readers and I and having to explain <laughs> that can be an, annoying even though we're all on the same team so if someone wants a job at the fader what do they need to have like what would not even just like be plucky and like have a sense of blah blah and have a good voice but like straight up this person showed up and these are the five qualities that they displayed unflinchingly, you'd be like, oh my God, you ha you're, you have a job. I feel like I'm going to use a real world example, which Do is it. this kid, Ben, who is writing for us at night. And literally, I just tweeted, like, I need it. You know, sometimes every once in a while, you have to replace your night writer. Mm -hmm. Any any internet <laughs> editor will let you know. You know right, right. When your night writer has steam coming out of their ears and they're really unhappy, you're like, oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> or they're like, yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know. We had to replace the night writer. And, you know, we had kind of cycled through friends of friends and contacts and, you know, it was kind of like, OK, who are we going to. And when we say night Raider, are we just presuming that this is like one of the lowlier jobs in terms of like desirability? It's like such a good way in because there is a pain it's a good threshold. Way in. I don't know if it's sure. I mean, I'm not I saying like hierarchically it's like a, a pain you're threshold. like a scullery maid or anything. I'm just saying that like it's, yeah. it's a tough job. It's, I think it's, it's definitely a good way to get in. I wouldn't yeah. consider this person like low on the totem pole in my heart or my mind. But I do think right. it's like kind of one of the things that you can um, do before you do other things. So uh, but yeah, I tweeted because right. I don't only want to know people I already know. I want to know who is and and right so something you could do is like watch watch the people who actually work at the place and like mm, yeah. so for when they tweet dumb things or like uh and it was just i think why this kid got this job quickly was like his copy was clean obviously a smart kid uh but it wasn't like it but it, it was but he had sort of blogged about music before in a place that you could tell he actually had investment in right for this blog wine and bow ties out of oakland that i think is really cool 
he obviously loved music and had passion about a certain type of music, but also seemed aware of the music conversation in general. Yeah. Uh, so do you, and so like, like responsive a, over email just seemed like like a, like a mature <laughs> person. I think I think those are really the key ways to get a job. It's like um, already know about the thing that you're gonna you know really be invested in what and I think kind of that's like why I got the internship at Fader at the time it was like very evident that I read the site I knew I had opinions about what was good on the site and what was bad on the site um, and I had like opinions about what kinds of things I like to read and and was also and and what I also love about people sort of I would hire one person over the other is like somebody who takes criticism well or just somebody who doesn't I, like I there's no room for egos in blog publishing right there's no time also let me just be clear that I am not interested in spending the next 10 minutes arguing about music with you person who is interviewing <laughs> like oh yeah no I mean so it's, I never I, I some I guess sometimes almost as a joke as an aside when I'm interviewing something I'm like oh what are you listening to but like it's really I think people always come in really expecting to have to answer that question right, right. to be like let me tell you about this and I'm like I it's not I don't care about your discovery we're process a, we're yeah. a music publication but at the end of the day we're just we're just a publication also and the skills that you need to write for us are, are quite similar to the skills. yeah I mean I, that's the thing I think that people sort of like overlook two very important things which is one do you seem hella normal to where I can be in a room with you like that's the other thing like if someone's like tap da- dancing his ass off and they just won't stop that that's such a signal that you're like doing too much and then also the thing about like you were saying like what do you like about the site what do you read what don't you like um what are you into how do you see yourself fitting into this it's like never underestimate how important it is to feel like plug and play like never underestimate how lazy the editor is who's hiring you <laughs> yeah in terms of like needing to like sit there and talk to you about every individual thing that you do like if you feel like I can just put you in a room and like tell you two things about tone, then that's great. Definitely. And then, and you can build from there, right? Yeah, if you have for sure. crazy ambitions that the editor has no idea about and you want to finesse them on the editor, like you can do that too. It's just yeah. going to take time. How is this Ben kid working out? He's awesome. <laughs> How long Shout is it out to this kid. <laughs> no, seriously, he's amazing. Um, yeah, but I, I, I do think taste matters actually a lot. And taste it matters really specifically at Fader, but I think it would matter. I mean, if I was hiring at a hair salon. But I think taste it would is matter. also like, I don't befriend people with bad taste. Like, I just can't be around you. Not I, even like, oh, I can't be around you. But it's more just like, it is tiresome for me to watch you get to the end of your sentence. And I just would never put myself in that position. I think that that's part, I feel like uh, one of the reasons I felt so instantly connected to you when we met. <laughs> <laughs> I know for the record we showed up in the same shoes just the other day and we had a drink um so what do you do for self-care because you do have a big job and I, I've seen you out and like when your phone goes off and I know it's like a, a snafu like I've seen you what do you do to take care of yourself it's something I think when I one of the reasons that I think I'm in music or just like in media at all is that I spent I've always been super stressed out like I spent my whole life I was stressed <laughs> out when I was four years old I love these two two running things one is that like the world is ending <laughs> and two that you're always stressed out yeah no my my name in Hebrew uh, or when you translate my Hebrew name into English it means pleasant and my parents running joke was like you are anything but <laughs> I um, think my Korean name is there's obliging in it, which is very contrary <laughs> to anything about me, which is funny. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I spent a lot of time as a kid actually like kind of decompressing with television. <laughs> and I know that sounds. I just and, imagine you at four with like deep 
purple eye bags just in front of the telly. <laughs> and I used to feel really embarrassed about it kind of when I was like hanging out in high school with a bunch of like punk kids or whatever. I was always like, God, this TV habit is something I really got to keep from people. <laughs> but now I really understand that it was like really I needed I needed to chill the fuck out and like watching MTV or whatever watching behind the music was like the way to do oh, that behind for me. the music is so soothing so good yeah so and and i do think that you know that if there's any base of knowledge i have in pop culture of a certain time it's because i logged hella hours in front of that television so and my parents were always like distressed like geez this kid like probably needs to play more soccer what do your <laughs> what do your parents do my dad is my dad is retired now, but he was a professor of psychology. Oh, okay. Um, and my mother was a landscape architect, and then also still to the you know has a million side hustles. My mom like works at a camp and makes pottery and like teaches tie dye workshops. My mom is amazing. my mom is amazing. <laughs> my mom, I feel like my mom could be an executive. Like she's a bossy creative person and what do I do for self-care now now I think I, I really like I said I, do, I don't go out like I try I tr- and I and I think that I try to keep my close friends close um I also like I think their relationships are everything for me and I think I am somebody who like has taken a lot of like I feel very nurtured and cared for by my partner and kind of hanging out with smart people who I know care about the things your I partner who I love me too he's the best yeah, yeah. so I think actually that's like a big part of self-care is like knowing that knowing that I have people in my life who I'm going to kind of literally go home to and who are going to understand me and hear me and and also like teach me things and talk about smart shit that I don't know about and I think that's it and like I don't know like also face masks you know I think that maybe you came into this at a good time because like you came in right at the economic downturn and you know when I was coming up there was a lot of people there were a lot of people who um held you know various editorial positions who made going out their job like period and I think that's calmed down a little bit maybe I'm just old though I have no idea I think I think a a huge part of it is like there's a real reality in coverage I mean I think Rawia wrote a beautiful a a nice piece about this for Fader recently that like you know there was the Kanye riot in the streets the other day right no I mean it would have been so fun to be at the Kanye riot like I genuinely wish I was there I mean Mm -hmm. when I say riot like there was no riot but at the gathering of people in the streets for Kanye um, for the Kanye apparition if, who, if, that did not. Right. Right. If you're trying to cover that for the Internet, the best way to do so is to be at home on your computer where you are being fed a very consistent live stream of tweets and snaps. And th- I mean, th- there's like as an editor who's trying to cover news events, it's like almost better for me not to be there. I remember like a, another Kanye listening, the Kanye Yeezus listening and literally like I didn't. They played the album two maybe three times but I left after the first because I felt like I had a scoop and I literally was like I have to go home yeah, and write yeah, yeah. and I did and the post did really well I remember and but like thinking about that is like kind of so crazy um but yeah I I I think I feel very privileged basically to not have to go finesse every single night you know and that's true you know I it, it, it's definitely a product of like social media and just like how everyone is doing their little is reporting things for you yeah. Like casting the widest net possible. Right. There's like someone to go do the snap takeover. Yeah. I'm certainly really grateful that I can sort of un... Actually, the funny, the the Yeezus thing at um, Madison Square Garden was one of these moments where I was out of the country. I think I was, I was reporting a story somewhere else and I was just like, in my mind, I was like, hey guys, be safe because it was literally everyone I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, please, like, you know, nothing bad happened to the entire music and fashion industries and and there are moments like that i mean that's a like 
I love that all of these are Kanye examples and maybe it's like what truly makes Kanye such an amazing artist is like he gives us these moments to be together. I mean, like I wouldn't have been anywhere else in the world on that That's day. That's true. You know, That's like I, 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 I enjoy it. Um, but I don't need to be at like every label dinner or every, you know, some, I think also, you know, uh, I, I did do these things That's for true. years. That's so true. once you do it, for a while you don't you have know, to ho- anymore ho- hopefully you don't always have <laughs> well to. if you did it right then you don't have to anymore if you're lucky I, I, I that's I really feel lucky yeah well on that note you are hashtag blessed um <laughs> thank you so much for talking to us today and yeah cool job thanks Mary <laughs> bye I'm in love with my life